Well, good morning to you. Uh, I'm Joel Wayne, and I have the honor of being the, uh, the lead pastor here at Chapel Point and being able to call out the Word of God so often here in this place. And it's a joy to be with you this morning. Um, we're in that series right now called Encounter. You just saw a bumper video about that very series, looking and exploring what it is for people to encounter Jesus when they encounter him, then what they respond with, how they respond, and looking at how their lives have been transformed. Um, before we jump into a passage today, though, we're going to be looking in Luke's chapter 17. But before we do that, I want to address something else that's going on right now. Um, just to let you know, um, the reason I was telling you I was the lead pastor prior is because in two weeks from today, um, the elders, the leadership of the church, have given me and my family an opportunity uh, to step away for a little bit. Uh, it's got a couple of different purposes. So on June 23rd, uh, Matt Marr is going to be here leading worship with us, which is going to be pretty cool. Um, I'm still going to preach because that's what we do. We preach the Word of God here in this place. Um, and then later that evening, uh, my wife and I are going to jump on a plane uh, with no kids for the next 18 years. Um, <laughs> just, I'm just kidding. It's 10 years. It's 10 years. Um, no, we're going to be able to go, just the two of us, to get away for a couple of weeks. And then uh, for a couple, a couple of weeks after that, we'll actually come back. We'll find the kids wherever they are with in-laws, and we'll be able to spend some time with them as well. And one is it's a gift for us to be able to do that. There is a time of just rest that is going to be had, which is going to be great for us. Uh, the last four or five years has been crazy with what's happened here in this place. But here's what I need to tell you. We don't believe that what God has already done is anything compared to what he still has to do. I want you to hear that. There's a lot of work to be done for the kingdom of God. And so part of the reason uh, we get to step away is just for some in extended time of prayer and rest and jumping into scripture and the word. Um, I'm going to be working really hard on the series this fall. I'll go ahead and tell you I'm doing a series this fall, uh, and it's named Because It Matters. Because It Matters. I think it's going to be one of the most important series that we do. And we're going to be hitting a lot of the the big topics and issues that are hitting us today, whether it be life or whether it be uh, looking at different sexuality or looking at all types of things and looking at the, what the Word of God says. And so that's coming this fall, and I'll be preparing for that as well. So uh, you're going to have Pastor Jim preach for a couple of weeks and Pastor Luke preach for a couple of weeks, um, and it's going to be a wonderful opportunity for you guys to hear from them, amazing, amazing men of God. Uh, but I also want to say thank you, uh, to you, because the elders represent you, and you're giving us this opportunity to step away for just a little bit uh, and to refocus, to rest a little, and also recognize more of what God is wanting for this place. So I just wanted you to be aware of that. I know some of you already knew, but some also had some questions about what was taking place, um, and we're just excited for it. Here's one thing I will tell you. I didn't say this to the last service. Um, it's sad, the state of so many churches and people and leaders today. Often what you hear is that when people step away for a little bit, it's because uh, something is wrong. Let me tell you now, nothing is wrong. Uh, it's called rest. Whoop, whoop, right? And I'm not a very good rester. I'm not. Um, I wake up, I work. I work, and then after I work, I work, and then I go to bed, and I wake up and do it again. I can't help it. It's the way God made me. Um, and the, the leadership goes, hey, why don't you go away and rest? So I think they're going to even take my phone from me. That's what they're trying to do, and they're going to burn it. Um, and they're trying to do those things. I don't know if I'll let them do that or not. But um, I also say thank you to you, but I'm excited for you guys as well. And uh, get ready. I, the staff and the elders are nervous, I think, for me to come back. 
because I'm going to be pumped and excited to preach the word of God. They even said, you're not allowed to go preach other places. So I've said no to other places. I'm not preaching or anything. So what? me not preaching for a month. Get ready. All right? And that's what I get to do right now, Luke chapter 17. Would you please join with me in turning to Luke chapter 17? Luke chapter 17. Um, it's this wonderful story, and uh, we often look at what it looks like for some person, an individual, to encounter Jesus, and then looking at how they respond. Today, we get to look at 10 people who encounter Jesus. Uh, it's the 10 lepers, and they all encountered Jesus, and they all stepped away, and we get to look at the response of one of those particularly, uh, specifically, and being able to examine what that means for our life. But first, I want you to go back, and I want you to think about something with me. Uh, some of you are married. Some are not. Some of you dream of being married. Yesterday, I had the wonderful joy uh, of being able to officiate the wedding between Tyler and Ellen Waterway. Um, that's only the second time I've said Ellen Waterway with no Zalster. The family's right here. Um, it's amazing because here's a man of God and a woman of God, and it's what you want, who've been raised in Christian homes, and they've come together, and everybody knows that they're so wonderful for each other. I remember when they finally got engaged, and Tyler got his head on straight and said, okay, will you marry me? And later on, they were able to tell us some of those stories, and um, of course, Ellen came, and one of the very first things that any woman who is engaged does is what? What do they show off? The ring. And so at first, I thought that something was just wrong with her because she walked around like this everywhere she went, right? You ever seen that person who gets engaged and they're always like this, like in the grocery store, they're doing like this, and it doesn't matter, and they're always like, hey, how you doing? Hey. You know who that person is, right? Tell them to stop, all right? But that's what they do, and I remember seeing Ellen, and she's showing us the ring, but then she put her hand down because what she was telling us, she started speaking about how Tyler proposed to her, and she started speaking about the relationship that they get to have. That's the way it's supposed to be. Maybe you know that person who, once they get engaged and they get a ring on their finger, all they do is they walk around for weeks and weeks and weeks, and that's all they do. They have this new disease where all they, they have to walk around with their hand out, their finger out, and they're flaunting it, and they're always looking at that. And imagine, all of a sudden, they're having conversations, and people are like, oh, you're getting married. They're like, yeah, here, look at the ring. And every single time, that's what they're doing. Instead of saying, yeah, here's the person that I get to be married to. Isn't it amazing that I have that opportunity to, to see that God is bringing two to become one in unified marriage and to recognize that covenant that is to be had with each other? And you see the difference between these two individuals, one who is so consumed with the gift and one who's consumed with the giver. And the reason I'm mentioning all this is because today I think so often what we've done, and it's, sometimes it's unintentional, but we've been wrapped up in the gift rather than the one who gave the gift, the giver. We've become so wrapped up in the diamond that we forget that the person who came and really gave us the gift of life is Jesus. And so now all of a sudden we're no longer speaking about him. And that's what we get to address today as we look at Luke chapter 17. We get to address this gift that's been given to us, and then in response, how do we treat the giver? That's really what the, the series Encounter is about. 
and how we handle that very thing. And so today, we're starting with Jesus in Luke chapter 17, and he's on the way to Jerusalem, and he's going down, and he's traveling uh, between Samaria and Galilee. And there's a wonderful map for you to see here. I want you to see the differences here. And even today, with all that's taking place in Israel and the different regions that we have over there, you know the tension that lies. You know that it's there, and it's been there forever. It's going to remain We look at it and we go, okay, here's Jesus. He did so much of his teaching in the Galilee region, and he's traveling down, and he would have been traveling that path all the way down to Jerusalem. And in the midst of that travel, he would have encountered different people of different groups. One of the groups he would have encountered, of course, were Samaritans. Jesus was a Jew, and here all of a sudden he's encountering Samaritans, what we know is even hundreds of years before Right? You remember the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, a lot of that was disturbed when all of a sudden different people are coming in and the exiles and conquering different people and all of a sudden other individuals are coming in and all of a sudden people are um, with different ethnicities, different nationalities. They were coming together. And so what some are saying is, hey, we're truly of God. And some are saying, no, you're not truly of God. And all this hostility is being created and you can feel the tension rising. That's what we see. You had Jesus, and he's walking down, and one of the times what we see in this story, we see Jesus walking down, and you find some lepers even calling out to Jesus as he's making that journey. Now, it's important to know that they're calling out because they weren't allowed to actually go up to him. If they would have done that, they would have, actually, they would have been breaking the Levitical law. We know that leprosy is a, a skin condition. It's a skin disease. And so what they would have done is they would have um, they really served as outcasts in many ways, and they would send them into um, in their own little colonies outside of towns and villages, outside of different places, and they would have said, hey, you're not allowed to be around anybody else. And so they would have formed communities outside by themselves alone. It was a lonely existence. So when you read about people who had leprosy, that's what you're actually reading about. When you ever see someone with leprosy in terms of hearing and reading about it, you need to think, man, they could be lonely, they could be hurting, they have a skin disease, and all of a sudden they've been now serving as outcasts in the community. Well, here comes Jesus, and he's traveling through this region, and as I've said, the Samaritans and the Jews have no love lost between each other. There's a lot of tension, there's a lot of hostility. Now, not only do you add Samaritans and Jews into that mix, but you add some people who have leprosy into that mix as well. And here he comes, and they begin to call out to him. It says the following. It says, on the way to Jerusalem, and this is Luke chapter 17, verse 11 and following. It says, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance That would have been their responsibility to stand at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, so they're calling out to him. And what's interesting is they know what to call out to him because they call out and say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. Go and show yourselves to the priest. I want to address that briefly as well because 
one of the things that we understand about going and showing yourself to the priest, someone would have already been healed, then they would have gone to show themselves to the priest to say, hey, listen, I would like to confirm, affirm all this, that they are healed, now you can enter into the normal community again, into normal society. And so when you're going to the priest, that's what the reason you're going, and yet he doesn't get near them, he doesn't touch them, they call out, Messiah, Jesus, have mercy on us. And he says, right away, I want you to go show yourself to the priest. So when they're hearing, go show yourself to the priest, what they're hearing is, what, is he about to heal us? That's how they would have been hearing the voice and the words from Jesus Christ in this moment. And so here they are, hearing these words, go and show yourselves to the priest. Now nothing has happened yet, but... Again, they know who's standing in front of them because they call out Jesus, Master. And so they begin this journey because it tells us, and as they went, and it tells us that as they went, they were cleansed. They were healed. They were made well. So one of them after they're on this journey to go show themselves to the priest, and as they're on this journey to go to the priest, they're healed, and all of a sudden, they recognize what's actually happened in their lives, and one of the 10 turns around, and he goes back, and he praises God with a loud voice. One of the things that we see here says he turns back. He had to stop where he was going. He had to go back the other way, whether it be inconvenient or anything else. He recognized what has actually happened in his life. And it says that he began to praise God in what voice? Yeah, not like that at all. (laughs) That was weak. He began to praise God in what? A loud voice. I have no comprehension how people, followers of Jesus Christ today, praise him with such shallow voices when we have been redeemed for eternity. I don't understand it. Because here's a guy, and we're going to even learn more about this guy. All of a sudden, he's coming, and he's falling on his face at Jesus' feet, which automatically reminded me, a few weeks ago, I preached about the woman, one of the encounters, right, at Simon's house, comes before Jesus, takes her hair, starts to wipe his feet, to anoint him with the oil, all these different things, because she's so overwhelmed at who he is. And here's someone who can't believe it. And what you find out is that Jesus then calls out, and I'm going to come back to some of this, but he says, we're not 10 of you cleansed. We're 10 of you not made well. Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return to give praise to God except for this foreigner? Here's the thing that really stands out about is that this was one of the foreigners. This would have been a Samaritan. This is, I told you before, Jesus was a Jew. This isn't even one of the Jews. This is someone who would have already been walking in that tension and that hostility, a Samaritan and Jew, and all of that was brought into that over just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And so walking this tension, and they don't care about that hostility. They don't care about that tension anymore. Here comes a Samaritan falling down at Jesus' feet to worship him and to praise him and to give him thanks because he recognized what had happened in his life. Wow. Now we, again, we know 
We know that the priest would have had to give recognition of what had taken place. It was the the law. You you find it in uh, Leviticus chapter 13 and 14. We know what would have had to take place. And yet he still said, I know where I need to go so that I can live in society again, but there is no way I can go and do that without returning to the one who just healed me. There's no way. So he turns back and he goes and he falls on his knees and he worships. Here's someone who lived in gratitude, not just for the gift, but for the giver. And that's what we need to do. We need to live in gratitude for who the giver is, not only for what the giver has given. And there's a big difference in the mentality and how you live life and living in a life of gratitude. Maybe some of you, you you kind of... Um, maybe you're raising kids, you've already raised kids, you're trying to help with grandkids, whatever it is, wherever you are in life, and it seems like people always want more no matter what. Right? That's why you know, the, the elders came and said, hey, listen, I was going to wait a year. And like, I, we think you need to rest. They were very smart. We think you need time of prayer. And, and I'm like, okay, great. And so right away I said, okay, so instead of a month I get a year off? And they're like, no, quit asking for more, right? That's, it's the same kind of mentality. Or you take your family somewhere and you're like, hey, guys, we have a surprise trip. We're going to go overnight somewhere, and we're going to just go enjoy ourselves. And they go, can we do it for another night too, right? It always seems like someone wants more, 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 more. You know what I'm talking about, right? Well, sometimes I think that's how we are as well. We just always want more. Give, 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 give. Like, come on, come on, give me more. Come on, God, give me more. And we no longer recognize that here's the kicker, and I've said it so many times in my life. Here's what you have to understand. God doesn't owe you anything more than what he's already done in the giving of his son, Jesus Christ. He doesn't owe you anything more. And so if you're looking at your relationship with God based on what else he's going to give to you, he's shaking his head going, I don't owe you anything more. I've given you salvation. And so as a result of that, and this is a hard honesty evaluation, look in the mirror lesson, right? Because then we have to look in the mirror and go, am I really grateful for what God is giving me over and over? Or am I grateful for what he's already given me in the salvation of Jesus Christ that is found in him? Are you living in gratitude? Are you living that life? Are you living in gratitude for the giver and what he's already done? What's interesting here is this is always going to be. We have something called the fall. You find it in the book of Genesis, first book in the Bible. It's after creation. What you find is you find the fall of man. Why? Because we bought into ourselves and we wanted more for ourselves than what was rightfully ours. And we're selfish and we're, we are sinners and we make mistakes all the time. Now, the good news is God can redeem anyone from anything at any time. We know this. And we live in that grace and that love and so we get to have a life of joy. But what the fall brought was this recognition of who we are. And so what we want is we're always saying more, more, more. Can I have more? 
We always think that God owes us. But it tells us, um, the reason I say this is always going to be, even in 2 Kings chapter 5, one of the enemies to the north, right? They came into Israel. Uh, they began to conquer and to defeat. This is 2 Kings chapter 5. Um, and what you find is one of the commanders there ends up with leprosy. They have an Israelite girl who's taken into captivity. And the Israelite girl goes to the commander and says, hey, you should go see Elisha, this prophet. He's close with God. Well, all of a sudden, she tells him to do this. He chooses, this enemy chooses a foreigner, right? Chooses to go to see Elisha. Elisha says, I need you to go rinse yourself in the river this many times. He's like, this is ridiculous. I'm not doing it. But he's convinced to go do it anyway. And guess what? He's healed. And he goes back to Elisha to say, thank you. Now, about this, it's this, what I'm telling you right now in 2 Kings chapter 5 actually happened in the same region, the same area of what I showed you previously where this is happening. That's pretty cool, isn't it? But here's what's interesting. In 2 Kings chapter 5, we find and discover a foreigner coming back because they're so overwhelmed at what God has done for them and comes back to Elisha and says, thank you. Well, now we fast forward to Luke chapter 17, and the same thing is happening. A foreigner is coming back and saying, thank you. And one of the things that I'm amazed by is that all of a sudden, what we have here is what I think is a picture of us today. Those who've already encountered and experienced grace assume that it has already been deserved over and over and over, and we stop giving appreciation. But for the one who has been away from God, and they now encounter God, and that's new to them, and they recognize that they are a new creation, they can't get enough of God in giving him worship and praise. Do you see the difference? Give me a yes or a no. Which one are you? Are you the one who doesn't have enough time in the day to give thanks to God? You can't wait to turn around and to go back and say thank you and to fall on your knees and to worship him. Or are you the one calling out and say, God, you owe me more? Will you do more for me? And I'm... Guys, I'm, here's the thing with gratitude and here's the thing with thanksgiving is one of the struggles that we have is that then if you're going through hardship, people come and say, well, you don't understand all I'm going through. I, I may not understand all you go through. You're not going to understand everything I've been through in life, but Jesus does. And no matter what is going on in your life, it is still temporary and he is worthy of our praise. And when we, when we lose that view, when we lose that perspective, that's when you live in the view, in the perspective of being a victim at all times rather than living as a victor. And nothing's ever enough for you. And so we need to at least evaluate that and know that God can step into the picture. Because here comes the one. He turns around and comes back in to begin to praise God. And even Jesus is saying, where are the others? Where there are not ten of you? Where are the nine? One of, the, one of the things I think I've learned in life, right, is that those most accustomed to having are often the ones less grateful for what they have. We just expect it. 
It's a hard place to be. It's a hard place to journey and a hard place to walk. And I understand sometimes that difficulty that comes into play. But what if we truly within us began to fight against that, that natural desire for more and we had a natural desire to worship and to give thanks and gratitude before God? And I know that we all have a tendency to complain, right? This is kind of what happens. Parents will complain about kids. Kids will complain about parents, right? It just happens all the time. Bosses complain about employees. Employees complain about employers. Church members complain about church staff, and church staff just prays for the church member. And it's where we end up falling and living our lives. When we have little gratitude, I do believe it's because we're ignorant of all that God has done for us. And so what we find here is says, Jesus answered, were there not 10 of you? Were, where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except for the foreigner? And then in verse 19, Luke chapter 17, verse 19, says, he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. Here's this guy who turns around because of his faith, living in a new life, and cannot call out to Jesus enough in gratitude, blessing God for what he has done. And isn't that where we need to be? In fact, Scripture tells us, Psalm 103, it tells us to bless the Lord. And all that we have, blessing the Lord is the same as giving thanks to God. I know it's not as natural as language for us, but it tells us in Psalm 103 to bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. We need to bless God, to thank God, to worship God, to praise God for what he's done in our life. And the thing is, if you're not praising God, blessing God for what he's done in your life, you're not fully comprehending what he's done in your life. And you're living in a life of selfishness, really. As a, as a follower, I can tell you that. So he says, rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. So we need to give thanks to God in all circumstances. In fact, we, we like the person who has hardship and give difficulty, don't we? Nobody likes to hear from the one. Nobody writes the book on the story that, hey, I had the greatest life. I've never had anything hard happen. Nobody likes that person. But here's what 1 Thessalonians tells us. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 and 18, it says, pray without ceasing. It says, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God and Jesus Christ for you. To give thanks in all circumstances. And that's a hard thing to do, a hard thing to process. I understand that. But it, one thing, it hit me recently that we, just, we struggle to give thanks and gratitude. We struggle with declaring gratitude, declaring thankfulness, because we have to then live a life 
that reflects that, a life of gratitude. We actually then have to live it out, and that's what we don't want to do because here, if we're really honest with each other, that means that all of a sudden, we need to change the way we live because most of us, we don't know how to walk through a day without complaining about something. We don't know how to do it. We don't know how to walk out of this place without complaining about the sea or the sound or the floor. We go to work and we complain about the coffee wasn't made well enough. And I'll tell you right now, the problem with Chapel Point is every morning we have people who make coffee who don't drink coffee. You can't know good coffee if you don't drink coffee. But you know what else that is? That's called a first world problem. And we complain about everything. It doesn't matter what it is and what's going on in our life. So the problem, the struggle that we really have is that we, we know that we can't declare gratitude without it changing our hearts and our lives. And we have so been ingrained with what it is to live a life of grumbling and complaining and always looking at what's been done wrong to us that we don't even know how to declare what's been right for us and what's been given to us in salvation. But if you did, it would change your life. Um, If you've lived in Michigan the last three months, you know that God has done an amazing job blessing us with rain. Amen? I'm so grateful that God has blessed us with so much rain and that we don't have to worry about a drought right now. Amen? Or you could have been the one who woke up and go, oh, it's raining. What are you feeding your heart? But here's a challenge that I have for you, and we're going to be able to, this one we just thought it would be appropriate to share in Lord's Supper, following the message on gratitude. What better thing to be grateful for than salvation through Jesus? But I want to give you a few challenges as the praise team comes back out Just some things I'd like to challenge you with this week. One, I want to challenge you to write down, you can write them on your worship guide, wherever you need to, three things that you know you need to be thankful for. That's not hard to do, is it? But then I want you to share those things over lunch or sometime today with a friend or with a loved one, and I want you to share what those things are. Here are three things. Do it over lunch. If you're eating with family or friends, and just take turns. Say, guys, pastor says, we got, you can blame me. You can do whatever you want. I can take it. And say, pastor says, we need to share three things that we're most grateful for right now. We just need to give thanks to God that we need to bless God for. Because what you give thanks for and what you bless God for, it shifts and it changes your heart. Because of our sin, we only have a tendency to look at what we've, been, what, what, what we've lost or what's been taken from us. But what I'm telling you is what's already been given to us is always far greater. So that's the first challenge I have. Uh, a second challenge I have for you is to give appreciation for somebody close to your life or how God is using them. And you're going, well, I don't know who that is. Search it out for who God's put in your life to really encourage you and to bless you. And then tell them thank you. And then lastly, here's my other challenge, is I just want you to write down these three words. Be the one. 
That's it. Be the one. Be the one of the ten who lives with such gratitude for God and what he's done that you're turning around from the other nine. Even though the other nine are going the other direction, you stop and say, guys, I'm sorry, I got to go back. And sometimes if you do live that life of gratitude and thanksgiving in a society that says you're always been beat up and you've always been defeated, you'll feel like you're the one of the ten, meaning you'll feel isolated. You'll feel different because nobody else is, is joining in with you. But what I'm telling you as a church, we want to join in with you. Be the one. Be the one who recognizes who God is and what he's done. Be the one who recognizes who you're not. Be the one who recognizes that God doesn't owe you anything more and that he has lavished his love on this entire world by the giving of his son, Jesus Christ, so that whoever professes faith in him can have eternal life. It doesn't say that you have to always get it right. It doesn't say you have to be perfect. It says you just have to place your faith in him, surrender to him, and enter into a relationship with him of recognizing what he's really done. He has called you out by name, and he has said, I love you. Be the one who's able to identify and even recognize that 2,000 years ago, it was what we call Good Friday. He said, you know what? Uh, I need to obey the Heavenly Father, and I'm going to give myself over to take your sin. Be the one who gives thanks for that, because we know that a few days later, the tomb was found empty. Wow. Be the one. Maybe you need to remind your friends and your family this week when they start to Grumble and not give thanks for what God has done. Say, hey, are you being one of the one, are you being the one or one of the nine? And then they'll start using my name as a cuss word. Joel Wayne. I'm okay with it. Be the one. Be the one. Be the one. God, I thank you for who you are and what you've done in our lives. We give you worship and we give you praise. Amen.